Hello and welcome to Redundancy Radio. I'm Liv Siddle and I'm very excited to have gotten the chance to interview my next guest as she is probably my favourite illustrator working today. And in fact, sometimes I sort of lament that I never became an illustrator myself because I mistakenly chose to do graphic design instead. And when I see Joanna's drawings, I feel kind of sick with envy that this is what she gets to do all day while I have chosen a different path for myself. Oh well. But yes, my next guest is Joanna Aviles, who is a very wonderful artist who has spent her life in New York City, often portraying its quintessential inhabitants like old women at the deli or Upper West Side, more old women, dog walkers, um, and they're all drawn in her instantly recognisable black line drawings. Joanna finds kind of delight and humour in people watching, be that in her home of New York or her second home of Lisbon, and now, I hope, in her very, very new home of L.A., her work can be seen in The New Yorker, Partimento, uh, on the walls of The Wing in New York, uh, on book covers, on logos, in The New York Times, The Paris Review, The Smudge, basically anywhere good. We spoke in her kitchen about her growing up in a very smelly warehouse in New York's fish market as a child, uh, how she manages to combine the written word and cartoons, the characters she spies around town and then includes in her work, and just loads of other stuff. I caught her um, a few days before she was about to move across America, leaving her beloved New York City and being on the cusp of a very new life chapter. So she really is a very magical person and I hope you enjoy this. Um, so I wanted to ask you first about growing up in New York and you kind of already explained about the fish market. Yes. But what was it like when you, you said your best friend lived next door to you? That sounds like something out of a children's book. Yes, I probably should make it into a kid's book. Um, I mean, I've actually, I thought I've tried a bit. Um, I grew up in a fish market um, in lower Manhattan on the East River under the Brooklyn Bridge. Um, my best friend Pippa uh, lived next door to me, and which was very helpful because when the school bus would uh, come to pick us up to take us to school in Brooklyn, um, as the doors would open to the bus, all the kids would shout P.U. and hold their noses. So it was very good to have Pippa because we could hold hands and... <laughs> and the, get, fish, the fish girls. Yeah, the two fish girls. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I grew up in a fish market and it smelled terrible. <laughs> um, what were you drawing when you were that age? How old were you then? Like, Well, was it until you were like 10? That I lived in the fish market. Mm -hmm. I mean, until I went to, um, until I left for art school, I lived in the fish market. Um, and I was drawing, I, I grew up drawing with my dad, who was an amazing drawer and illustrator, and he could draw anything and everything. And I'm an only child, so I would, I would make him draw all the time as my, he was my playmate. Um, what kind of things would you make him draw? I mean, we would, I don't know, I mean, I would come home from school and we would, like, make a big drawing together. He would, I don't know, he would, like, teach me different, like, techniques of ways to draw things. Or we would, we would, um, we loved this William Steig book called The Rotten Island, um, which was about an island of monsters. Um, <laughs> and so we would, one of our favorite things to, to do was to make up monsters and draw an island with the monsters. Uh... And, I don't know, lots of, like, fantasy worlds. Um, I remember he bought me the, the Borrowers. And, 
you know, the book of the yeah. tiny people <laughs> who, who, who live under a floorboard. Um, so then I, I think for a while I was very preoccupied with drawing people and, you know, next to a large button or yeah. people sleeping in matchstick beds, very Stuart Little, Beatrix Potter. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of like drawing and, um, and my mom's an artist, so she also can draw, although not like in the same way that my dad could draw, but we would always, when we go out to dinner, we would be doing an exquisite corpse or we would be drawing on the tablecloth or, yeah. I don't know, they were very fun parents. That's interesting as well, because I think with a lot of, um, if parents, for instance, are musicians or chefs or artists, sometimes that their kids kind of go the opposite way to try and rebel against it. But it's, it's nice that you just did it and you just had that thing together. It's the best. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, I mean, it's great. Having like, having artist parents is really great for a kid because they, yeah. they can like, I think my dad could also really like see everything from my point of view. Um, and he would, even in our house, which was an old loft um, that looked sort of like a pirate ship, um, <laughs> it, had, it had like, the, the loft was built with old ship beams and there was graffiti on some of the beams from like Irish sailors that it's still there. Um, no way. That were, I mean, it was very beautiful. Um, I mean, I didn't necessarily think it was beautiful when I was little, but, um, but my dad would like build little houses. I mean, he'd build houses for me in, in our house that were my size. Um, and he That's was like amazing. very like handy and very, um, I think he, he, his childhood was like very present to him. And I think he could then look at me and see like what would be fun for me. Um, but yeah, I did, yeah, I did end up doing the same thing as him. Although I think that does happen I was at the dentist recently, and um, I was asking my dentist about his kids, <laughs> and he said that his daughter is becoming a dentist. I don't know. I think sometimes you sometimes. you don't you don't you don't <laughs> learn anything else, so then you just follow the the model of it or something. <laughs> How do they end up living in that old pirate ship style place in the fish market? Um, was it residential, or did they kind of just find no? A space it was not residential, but there was, um, and actually, it felt very. Um, you know, like we didn't have blinds on any of the windows because there was no neighbors. So, you know, you could walk around naked and no one would see you through the... So what was out the windows if it wasn't neighbors? Other buildings, but all of those windows, <clears throat> most of the buildings were abandoned and the other windows, I mean, across the street from us were all boarded up with wood. Was all it quite spooky? Yes. <laughs> For you? Yes. I, and I actually think it was a really, really <laughs> weird place to live. <laughs> <laughs> and like not hospitable for a child um, and kind of creepy and um, but like also sort of I mean you know in retrospect it's kind of, it was kind of magical but there were other artists other there were other kids in the neighborhood you knew everyone else who lived in the neighborhood mm. because there were so few people I mean truly there was I mean now it's it's been redone and it's it has like the moniker of like historic you know this like historic neighborhood but then it was really like like a a briny sort of um briny. <laughs> like <laughs> salt bath <Slippery>. yes <laughs> seagull lots of rats um i think you should definitely make a book about that what was pippa's deal that was her family doing a kind of similar thing of like let's move to the oh yeah why did oh yeah um well my dad lived there with his old um roommate silver 
um, Le Changer, who did these books called Semiotext. Um, and my dad and Silvera lived there for a while. And then I guess my dad met my mom. She was living in um, her, her own artsy loft in Soho. <laughs> and then she, um, he, he, they moved in together there. Um, I think because it was just a huge place with really, really cheap rent. Yeah. And Fair. yeah, that was sort of why. And then Pippa's, Pippa's parents were next door and we were born two weeks apart. And I think that our parents all stayed because it was Pippa and I were so close. And so then we had this little magical street life together. And so sweet. Yeah, it was very sweet. I want to see a film about it actually, not necessarily just a book. Yeah. I like that kind of thing. <laughs> it's very sweet. And then did you go to, where did you go to art school then? Then I managed to escape the fish market. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I went to Rhode Island, to RISD. Wow. Um, That's the best one, isn't it? I mean, I think it's so. It's a good one. I, I loved it. It was amazing. Why, um, did, what, why did you want to go there? Um, I wanted to leave New York. Um, and I had done a summer program and then when I was back in high school and everyone was applying to colleges and I realized that I didn't enjoy that and that I didn't want to go to what felt like a continuation of high school. And I knew that I loved RISD, so I applied early, got in, and didn't do anything else. What do you mean? Like, didn't do anything else? Like, I didn't apply to any other schools. Oh. I, like, I just, I didn't want to be involved in, in, like, the pandemonium that was people applying and freaking out and um, yeah, I just, I, it, I knew it was like where I wanted to be. Kind of. If that's the case, what, when you found out you got in, can you tell me about that? Cause that's always like a huge, a huge moment, isn't it? Oh yeah, well, I actually, I was thinking about it the other day. I remember I got in and then <clears throat> that, and I was wearing a RISD sweatshirt because I had had one from the previous summer and I went out with some friends. Already had the jumper. <laughs> yeah, and I remember like dancing in the RISD sweatshirt and then I kissed this boy, Anders, um, <laughs> who's, anyway, he's no longer alive. But oh. anyway, I was, I was thinking about it like very like wistfully, like I remember like kissing him and wearing my RISD sweatshirt and being like, this is amazing. Um, but <laughs> start of a new life kind of thing. Well, I don't know. My mom, um, my parents went to Cooper Union, which is an art school in New York that's free. And it's like a very, like, um, I don't know. I mean, it's because it's free, it was, it's very hard to get into. And it has a very small class. Mm. And uh, my mom really wanted me to go there um, because it's free. Um, and, <laughs> and I was like, uh, I think my preschool is a little too close to this. Uh, and also I did... I, you know, the, the, the pirate ship loft had no, had no doors and no separate rooms, everything. I mean, my parents had their own room, but my bedroom growing up was sort of like a, like an encampment on the other side of the loft. And okay. I had this idea, I was like, I want to go somewhere where I have my own room. I want to live in a smaller um, town, I guess. I want to like bike to a friend's house. Um, I would like to have stairs. Um, I don't know, just like just you know a different experience. And um, and Providence was so great. 
I've never been there, so I'm not sure what it's like. But what was what was your impression on arrival? Is it, I mean, it must be so different from living in the pirate ship in New York. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's not the, you know, it's, you know, it's still the East Coast of the United States, so yeah. it's not like you know, light years away. <laughs> um, but it's I mean, it's the smallest state. Okay. Um, it's called the Ocean State. Um, it's a very um, it's a very small world. Um, <laughs> Very, there was a very corrupt government. Their mayor, Buddy Cianci, was in prison. Um, really? Yes. He was, you know, married to the mob. Wow. Um, his wife's name, this is an aside, is Nancy Ann Cianci. No. Yes. <laughs> I mean, their, their last name is Cianci and her name is Nancy Ann. So, Nancy Nancy Nancy. Um, I think that maybe wow. says an, everything about. That's <laughs> about, a little. Yeah, that's it. Nancy Nancy Nancy. Uh, Did you have to share a room with someone? Yes, and um, I had done the summer program there before, and I met this lovely girl named Dakota who came from California, and she also was going. So we knew the other one was going. So she was my oh, roommate. That's good. Yeah. So everything was like very. Um, I mean, I'd been there, I knew Dakota, like I wasn't doing anything that, um, I wasn't stepping that far out of my comfort zone. Yeah, it's so sweet though that you, all you wanted was your own bedroom and you didn't even get it. <laughs> no, and then we also pushed our beds together and like shared clothing and like just became this like really like one, anyway, yeah. Happens. And then when you graduated, what happened then? Then I came back to New York, I came back to the pirate ship. Um, I was trying to, figure out what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I also, when you're 21, you think that you're like 45 and that like, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, I lived like away from like my mom. Like I can't live with her again, um, but I did. Um, I worked for some different artists um, and I worked at a baby clothing store. What were you doing with working with the artist? You kind of like <laughs> You're like, let's pivot from the baby clothing <laughs> store. That's not, um, I'm literally um, no interest in hearing about that. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I don't want to talk about it. Um, I worked for um, this one artist, Joan Jonas, who's a performance artist. Um, and she's, I mean, a really close friend of my mom. And I, you know, would do things from like get her juice to organize her mask collection to like, help sew her outfits for her performances to then like being in her performances, um, which was something that I didn't necessarily um, want to be doing. I mean, I didn't, I, you know, being in like a, a five night run at the Worcester group of performance art, like I, I don't want to be in front of the camera exactly. No. So I was, um, it was, I think actually also working for her was when I started really like realizing what I really wanted to be doing because she's also such a um, like unique artist who is really unlike anyone else. And I would watch her do these things. And I was like, whoa, she's just doing that thing. And it's exactly what she wants to be doing. Um, so then I was like, I should do exactly what I'd like to be doing if I can. So when you were at RISD, were you kind of going down more like the art route than the illustration route? Yeah, I was in painting. Um, but at, when you're in painting at RISD, you don't even have to be <clears throat> painting. It's yeah. But I didn't. I never even. I mean, I remember I considered going into illustration. I didn't know anyone going into it, and um, I'm very happy I didn't because I think I would. I was coming from 
like you know when you're a teenager like I would be like drawing all these things in my notebook during class and just being in painting I had to make really huge paintings I was so uncomfortable I had to you know just do things I would never actually do on my own and I learned so much about materiality and kind of like making things and ideas um, but when I was there I did have this feeling like this isn't like exactly um, my this is not how I envisioned myself um, and I felt like sometimes even in <clears throat> the beginning of painting when we had to do a lot of paintings I remember someone in the class saying to me um, during a critique um, about my paintings that they were really illustrative and I remember that it was I was like oh but they're saying that in a in a bad way. Oh no. And I remember being like, oh, like that's bad. Like, and then I learned that like narrative was bad. And all these things that like I actually really liked were not good in painting. It's a bit heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. And I think, and I didn't even, I mean, even though like I grew up, like <clears throat> my mom's an artist, my dad did illustration. Um, I like didn't know a lot of like, I don't know. I didn't really understand a lot of those things. I was, um, I still felt very like new to all these like different meanings and um but when I was there I did do I did illustration for the uh Brown the Brown University newspaper and I I also tried I made a comic and I tried to get I tried to have that as one of my pieces in the painting class and the teacher would not allow it um which I think was I think even now they would be fine with that but I felt like then they were the teacher who was she was amazing, but she it, it didn't didn't fly. So that's funny. I had a similar experience when I was doing graphic design. And I kept on trying to make it illustrative, and they were like, "No." Yeah. Or I would use something like pencils, and they were like, "No." Like, it was very kind of like you're doing it wrong because they wanted you to just use to kind of do things like things where things had to be so neat, and like a pencil was messy Ooh. or like it would smudge or like yeah. just kind of stuff like that. All the things that I thought were okay were kind of wrong. Yeah. And it felt like you know rather than doing the thing that I thought was, was what I was meant to be doing, it felt like being back in kind of maths class where you were just constantly being told that yeah. it's incorrect rather I than... I felt kind of, yeah, I felt sort of, I remember feeling really like embarrassed. I was like, I was like, yeah. oh, that thing I like. But also it's like, I mean, it's not the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to anybody. But, 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 um, but in the end, I think it was actually like, it was really great for me because I, I like, I don't know, I was like making like, my like senior piece was... Um, like I made all these like fake nails and I like, I don't know, like I just was like doing like weird stuff that I wouldn't yeah. have ever come to otherwise. So it was in the end, I think really great. Um, and then what happened? So what was your first kind of illustration commission that made you well, the then, first thing? Well, then when I was working for the performance artist um, and I was doing like other, um, like working things for other artists, like photographing their work and um, some friends and I made a web show called Delusional Downtown Divas. Um, and I don't know, just like kind of trying different, like all sorts of different things, working at the baby store, which I will not talk about. Yes, thank God. Um, and, um, and then I, I went back to school two years later at the School of Visual Arts for an illustration degree. And it was almost like going to a trade school because um, it was the opposite of RISD. It was like... Uh, I mean, everything that I had suppressed was like the currency there. Amazing. So it was totally different. And um, 
maybe, I mean, one really important part was that there was this computer class um, that taught me how to use everything in a way that took me out of the, like, the 1971 gully that I had been living in. <laughs> um, so that was very freeing. So yeah, I went to SVA and then from being there, like I started getting jobs and making that's stuff. The, that's like, there's such a, um, when I think about being an illustrator, I imagine it's just like, you know, let's drawing with a pen all day, but it's so easy to forget that most of it is now to do with like being on the computer all the time. And it's so difficult. And that 1971. Yeah. Gully, and I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's this romantic idea, but without the, the knowledge of how you can kind of adapt your work for the screen and like do editorial stuff like for cross platform media without those skills, you just can't really do it. Right. It's just right. And I think it's very like freeing to have, um, I mean, to be able to, I mean, use, I sound like I'm <laughs> like like of, of a certain vintage when I'm like to be able to use the computer, um, but it's very freeing because if you draw like if you draw someone's hand and you're like that hand is horrible, I would like to redraw that hand. It's not like a whole afternoon of I don't know what like white out and cut and pasting something. Yeah. It's, you can really just swap it out. And I mean, I only want to use Photoshop to make it seem like there was never Photoshop. Yeah, you know, to make it seem like I did a drawing and it was like. That's how I did it on the first stroke. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think about, like, my dad did um, editorial illustration for the Times, and, you know, he would, like, I guess, like, bike up, like, a actual piece of Bristol board with, like, such intricate rapidograph drawing, like, you know, bike it up to the Times. Then I remember he said that he did this drawing when they found... Um, some like, oh God, this is this is where I say edit this out. He did he he did a drawing that then it was for the science section that then something had changed in the article and he had to like change it, but it was like four a.m. and they you know it wasn't like That's he could mad. just email it back. I mean, I don't know. So I'm I'm also really grateful for that. Yeah, <laughs> the idea that magazines were made pre-internet still. I mean, people explain it to me sometimes. People who have worked in the industry for a long time, but I'm still like, it's a bit like when someone tries to explain to me why how planes stay in the air. I'm like, yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you have to suspend disbelief. Um, there's this um, this newspaper um, that these friends do in LA called The Smudge. I know The Smudge. Okay, yeah, yeah. Made by Clay Hickson. Yes. Yeah. And they did one issue that was all, um, it was like their Luddite issue, and they did it all without email and, and without computers. So it's like they, they <laughs> how do they do it? How? I mean, mail, fa like facts. They like, I think they collaged everything. I thought that was like a genius um, a thing to do. It must have taken such so, a long time. So long. <laughs> um, I should ask like what the, what the takeaways were. <laughs> but I suppose in that situation, a lot of the contributors would probably try way harder knowing that it was a kind of like a, they, yeah. they, they would have to redraw the drawing or they would have to, you know, go and type up the article again yeah. by hand or whatever it was. Yeah maybe it kind of makes everyone just kind of get it right first time rather than thinking, yeah. oh, I'll just change it later. Yeah. Like when you write for the internet, you just you just change it in the back end like pretty, yeah. I mean, instantaneously. I feel like something out. We're, I'm like the last vestige of like, like I remember in fourth grade typing a book report on my mom's typewriter. And now I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, like I, I was working on a typewriter. Like, <laughs> like no, like people I think like two years later wouldn't have even, well, 
I don't know. I don't know. I never had, no, I think maybe that was just you. Yeah, maybe it was just me in the fish market back, like, just, we, we were really <laughs> behind. Tapping away in yeah. the dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, uh, there's this thing that always comes up in your work, and sometimes your Instagram account, it's a little girl called Eloise, which is a, a character in a book that I'm not familiar with, because I think oh, maybe really? it's... I, it's, I never had it when I was growing up, and I, I don't think it's a very British, well, like, I don't think we had it as much when we were all growing up. That's my impression. But well, can you tell me about what that is and how, yeah, how she comes into well, your work? That's interesting because I feel like American people would almost guess that Eloise was British. And actually, the illustrator who did Eloise, <clears throat> Hilary Knight, I can tell from the drawings, and I think I've read it, that he was looking at Ronald Searle, oh, okay. who did um, St. Trinian's School for yeah. Girls, and that Eloise was very much like based on that those characters. It is that vibe, yeah, isn't that like, kind of naughty school girl? Yeah, naughty, like kind of impish, like little bit of like a belly, yeah. little like stick legs, underwear yeah. showing, like unpleasant little girl. Yeah, like messed up <laughs> hair. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like unpleasant little girls. That's like there's something kind of like oh, yeah. maybe. Um, <laughs> but and then and then also there was another um, book that I was realizing. Oh, it was a very old um, French um, illustrator who I could. He was also looking at um, any, Hillary Knight, but um, Eloise is um, a little girl who is six who lives in the Plaza Hotel, and uh, she could never be created today either. I mean, Why? I mean, she was. I feel like she's. I mean, she's such a brat. Like I don't think like <laughs> anyone would like want. Like I mean, I don't know. Kids' books have so many messages she's oh. truly bratty and devious and wonderful so um, it's not setting a good example to kids so it wouldn't be published now because all kids books now have this kind of like positive message i mean that's probably like i mean i don't know if i really i'm sure there's books Some. that aren't but i feel like she's just she's she's from her own she's in her time period and i and i love her for it um there was also another book that was made um i guess in the 60s um that I'm only going to mention the illustrator's names for any of these books, but it's illustrated by Louise Fitzhugh, who did the um, illustrations for Harriet the Spy. And this book is called Suzuki Bean, and she's like the beatnik Eloise. I have these <laughs> books. Let me, I'll show you Suzuki Bean. Um, but she's like a, yeah, a 60s version of Eloise who lives in a loft downtown with her parents, and she calls her parents by their first names. And... Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, there's, I think, I think that, yeah, Eloise is like this, she kind of reoccurs. I did this version of her for New York Magazine, well, a little while ago now, that was Eloise, like, who would she be now? It was for a kid's issue that they did. Oh, okay. And I, like, put her in, a, in um, the Wyeth Hotel in Williamsburg. <laughs> um, and, you know. Of course, she would be precocious staying in there. Yeah. What was she, what was, what was the new version of her into? What was she like? Um, she would spy on people and take videos with her phone and was leaving. She, she was prescribed a ton of Adderall, um, <laughs> but she wouldn't take it because she knew that it suppressed her imagination. Um, so she would leave it as tips. She would leave the pill, <laughs> the, the little blue pills as tips wherever she went. Um, uh, and trying to think about other um, other things about her. She had to take capoeira classes. She had SAT classes, even though she was six. Um, yeah, you know, all the pressures of uh, 
um, but yeah, so yeah, I love I love kids. <laughs> the the cre the creepiest thing to to ever say, but I I I, I like um I like I like the idea of sort of like I'm not even like naughty, but I like. I mean, I'm, when I was that age, I remember being like, I mean, very luckily for me, I remember being like, I love it here. Like, I liked that age. Um, yes. Maybe it's a kind of, it's something about, I can see a lot of, even though I wasn't familiar with the book, I can see a lot of Eloise and her character in the other characters that you draw. And it's, because you draw a lot of these like fantastic like older women mm -hmm. who you see around New York, mm -hmm. but, and maybe you get a few in London. Kind of. Oh, old, I'm sure there's so many old, amazing eccentric ones. Yeah. Hampstead ladies, but oh, in yeah. New York it would be like Upper West Side or something. Yeah. And they're probably like the old version of kids like Eloise who grew up in the very city girls. They're like really kind of know themselves. They're yeah. Kind of maybe a little bit. They've got a little bit of attitude or something. Yeah, I love that. Like really knowing yourself. That. Yeah. And also not. Um, I mean. To, to being a kid, like I, I also, I remember thinking like being nine was really great. It was like the last moment before it became very obvious that there was girls and boys. I felt like everyone was still sort of like a general pool of overalls. Yeah. And I loved that. And then I think with the older ladies, I like like an irreverence, which <laughs> I guess maybe you get with age. I mean, <laughs> I like when people, I can tell that they're like dressing for themselves or that they're taking a lot of like pleasure in themselves. Yeah. And I love like just seeing that. And I think that's the same quality in kids when they're a little, they're not self-conscious yet. Like, you know, you can see a kid and they're like completely in their own world of yeah. imagination and it's just like so perfect. And so maybe, <laughs> yeah, so from like anything between nine and like, 65 you know I'm not interested in that <laughs> I only want people who are like really um you know delusional and like making up stories and talking to themselves <laughs> do you reckon there's the, the kind of um the eccentric population of New York is is something that might be dying out I sometimes have that fear in London I know I do I do think that but I guess I mean I feel like people people seem to care about how they dress more than ever or something. I mean, I feel like people are, I mean, I guess it's like Instagram or like showing, you know, like here's what I'm wearing today, but there's something about it happening in isolation and not, um, that's a different purpose, but. Yeah, maybe it's a fear of being called weird or yeah. something yeah. rather than, yeah, or a fear of being photographed. And you know, cause right. like there was, I just remember when I was like a teenager, I saw a picture online of, maybe it was a bit later, there was a girl online who had like sat at a bus stop and then she had like pooed her pants and then oh she like God. threw the poo away because oh she was scared and it was on video. And oh I, my and God. I know. It was on CCTV and I just felt so bad for her. And then I think, you know, seeing something like that, I think everyone's seen something like that and they've been like, I must never poo in public. Be that person. <laughs> no, but I think that, I mean, pooing in public is a very extreme example, but yeah. even just standing out a little bit so that people can, can take notice of you or... Um, they might take a photo of you or they might talk about you behind your back. I don't know. I feel like people want every bit of attention that they can get lately. Oh, really? I feel like that. Um, but I do think that like eccentricity might fade out in a weird way. Or maybe it'll be a little more modeled on other eccentrics. Yes. You know, like, yeah. like, like you, you were not Iris Apfel, you were dressing like Iris Apfel. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. Um, 
I was also thinking, because you know, like there are these amazing old illustrators who just draw one character, um, you know, like sort of Calvin and Hobbes, you just pick a character and you just draw it forever. And I assume with Hillary, he was kind of doing the same thing with Eloise. Yeah. Just like he found his muse that he had yeah. imagined and then just went with it. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you're gravitating towards that? Is there one person, or one kind of style that you draw that... Yeah, I had this um, character named Nadine who I used to make comics about and she um, is sort of like a grown-up Eloise um, and she had a... I mean, I always draw this woman who has a, like, a Louise Brooks haircut just because it's like a perfect graphic bob yeah. to always draw. Um, but I don't... I don't know if, um, besides her, who, like, I've drawn her forever, I don't know if I'll have, like, some, um, you know, like, some of those characters are, I mean, like, Calvin and Hobbes, it's like, or Garfield, or, or I don't know, other ones, like, they're syndicated, so uh, there, there is some, like, you know, like, daily necessity to them. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I'd like to make some children's books plural um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know I don't know if um, if I'll have like one but Nadine my 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 character Nadine was my only that's nice my my uh, my bizarre muse <laughs> <laughs> um, what does a kind of normal working day look like for you so we're sitting in your apartment now which mm -hmm. is your dad's old studio mm -hmm. and your desk I'm looking at, at the other end of the big main room, and then we're mm -hmm. in the kitchen. But your mm -hmm. bed is also in mm -hmm. the same room as your desk. As someone who has worked in that way for a while, I found it quite difficult, but we had, had a chat about this earlier, like how, you know, it's just the way you've done it for a long time now. But, so you get up and do you just begin work and then you work till late? I get up, I um, listen to the radio. What kind of radio do you listen to? Um, I mean, I listen to NPR. I'm a coastal liberal elite. I don't know. I'm in my. I'm in my. I listen to my my bubble network. Um, I um, I, uh, I get up. I have coffee. I um, walk my dog Pepito, who I think that kind of like sets the tone because I have I have to get up. Yes. He has to go outside. So that's like very helpful for my freelance lifestyle. Um, and then I come back. Um, you know. Email, procrastinate, um, or if I'm like, if there's something like that has to be done immediately, like I might, you know, walk from the bed to the desk. Yes. Um, and that is a little unhealthy, but I, um, I don't know. I don't. I did. I was in a studio with other illustrators once, and I have never gotten so much work not done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like. I really was like, like my friend had bike to the studio she fell then we had to find band-aids for her knee like I just I couldn't um concentrate I was like I was too distracted and as a person I'm already like kind of social enough so I need to be alone <laughs> but um <laughs> but I don't actually think that working in your own apartment is ideal it's more just because I have like a big desk and I have the space for it yeah but and you tend to work very late I do. Sometimes I, um, I've gone through phases where I work, like, then, you know, then it's desk to bed. Um, and I think it's because I love when people are not emailing you and when I feel, like, really free and relaxed. Um, 
And I find that like with email and like my phone during the day that there's so much like chatter and noise um, that working at night sometimes is like very, um, it feels very like secretive and, and uh, freeing. But actually I think it's um, also tremendously not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, I, and, I, and as I've been aging, um, wonderful, I mean happily aging, I, my brain like doesn't work as well in the evenings anymore. So, so I think, you know, it's, I'll be more of an early, ri you know, early riser. Maybe things will change because you're going to LA in a few days for six, to live for six months. Yes, my boyfriend and I are going to go to Los Angeles for six months. Um, I uh, don't know how to drive, so pray for me. Um, <laughs> um, the house that we're renting has a studio in it, so I will also be working from home, but in a separate room. In a separate room, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, Lisbon and Portugal because mm -hmm. you've been going there for well, since you were little I suppose every year yeah uh, how long do you tend to go for and when and what happens when you get there well um yeah of course <laughs> mm. um yeah I've been going my whole life but only like I don't know I guess about six years ago I don't know some or five years ago something really changed. I used to go, my dad is uh, half Portuguese. I mean, my dad is Portuguese. I'm half Portuguese. Um, and we would go every summer to visit my grandmother. And I don't know, it just was kind of like, you know, visiting your grandmother. I have no siblings, but I'm the 18th grandchild. Wow. And I'm the youngest grandchild. So some of my cousins have children who are a couple years younger than me. And I'm sure there's, you know, another 18 from that generation. So there's just, I have this ginormous family there. And um, my dad passed away five years ago. And after that, something like happened where like when I would go there, like I just, all these things that I missed about him felt so present to me. Um, I mean, my dad moved to New York in the 70s and he was definitely like, did not want to be in Portugal. He had been in this, colonial war in Africa he was like just when he came back to Lisbon after being in this horrendous war that he like didn't agree with he was either gonna go he wanted to finish art school this is like a full yeah <laughs> I went full fully <laughs> in um he came back to Lisbon he had been at the art school there before he was in the army and then he was like I cannot be in this place he was like I'm gonna finish art school either in London or in New York the term started, he got into school in New York and just went there. So it was like either that. So, you know, we could have met, you know, in London, actually. Wow. If I, <laughs> if, if that, um, Amazing. So, so he came to New York and he was very, um, and a lot of like things about him being Portuguese. I, he didn't speak Portuguese to me. He, I mean, he had Portuguese friends here and we, I don't know, we would go every year, but it, it felt like just this like very random thing almost. <laughs> like, you know, people were always like, where is Portugal? Is that, is that a Spanish island? Like, <laughs> I mean, no one, up until like three years ago, like no one wanted to go there, it felt like. And um, I mean, except for the French, I guess. Um, but so then anyway, after he died, I started to have this feeling there that was just that like, I like loved it. And I think a lot of it was, um, like my dad taught me how to draw and the way he would draw things was 
you know, like he would, if, if I was like a, a doorknob in Portugal, I was like, oh yeah, that, that's like how my dad would draw a doorknob. So like all these like things about like being wow. there felt like very like tied to him. And I felt like I, like it just, I felt wonderful and I just loved it. And so now I'm like, I'm like Portugal's like most obsessed person. Um, <laughs> and I just, I don't know what it is about it. I think it's like going there. I, um, had this huge family. I'll be like wandering on some like street in some neighborhood and I'll hear my name and like a cousin will be honking at me. I'll let my dad's one of six. So I'll be with his siblings and they'll laugh and I'll be like, oh, that's a lot like how my dad laughs. Or there's just, it's, I think like it's, you know, big parts about my dad, but then also it's like this other world that like he gave me entry to that I didn't even like realize I had until a couple years ago. Um, and I have all these like incredible friends there and I just, I think it's the most beautiful city. Um, and like just all the details of walking around there. I just, I love it so much. I've only known that you went because of your Instagram and when you just start drawing things, I mean, most of the time you're, you, you, you post things that are kind of drawings from New York and then suddenly they just switch yeah. and it's your style, but it's, it's these, it's, it, you're, you're kind of seeking out the same kind of characters, but in this kind of strange European place instead, but the, the same, you're picking up the similar type of people, like you're still yeah. find, managing to find them. But all the details and like the kind of the way the drawings change, I just think it's amazing. And you've obviously just got such a connection to that place because to draw it like that, you have to really understand it. And it's so interesting to hear that your dad, you know, the doorknob story, Yeah, it kind of makes sense. And even, that, I mean, people are sometimes like, oh, you have a kind of European style to Yeah, me. I really do think that's and, true. Um, and, I, and it is because like I would copy my dad's drawings and my dad is a European man. So like he, I, it, it goes back to like, you know, what, what he was copying or what, who he was looking at, who were, um, you know, people from like the 50s and 60s. And um, it reminds me of kind of, yeah, like kind of French, French cartoons or mm -hmm. like newspaper cartoons. And I love Europe. those. I mean, like Sampe um, and then even like Quentin Blake. Like I like that kind of line. Um, and the humor. Yeah. In it. Is yeah. Very similar, yeah. That kind of yeah. wry. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Portugal has become this like, my mom is there right now and I'm so envious. Um, <laughs> she's sending me photos of sardines and, and dinner parties and um, it's, it's a better life there. Uh, LA is going to be good for you though. I think so, but I'm, and LA has a lot of, um, actually has a lot more weirdos I think than New York because New York is so sanitized and like, I mean, there's just, there's no, a lot of, everything feels very like scrubbed and looked over. And if something is like weird, it feels like it's, it's telling you that it's weird. It's like, look at this like weird thing. Um, whereas like <laughs> in LA, cause everything is so like spread apart and you know, things happen behind like a bush or something. Like I don't like, you know, like there's just like people are kind of left to their own devices. And I think there's actually like a lot of like a lot more characters there. I'm anxious about the lack of street life which is something that I like just love. So I feel like I'm like a, like a, the ultimate pedestrian. You're a people watcher. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm a little, um, I'm a little, I'm thinking about that, but that'll, that'll be my journey. <laughs> my, my experience will be trying to find that kind of like feeling, but. I think you'll find them. I've always wanted to go out there and just find all the kind of like the, the weird hippies that are still clinging on to like Laurel Canyon and. Oh yeah. And, and those kind of, kind of weird. Oh, yeah. shamanistic people who just believe in 
life being very different from how I've seen it growing up in the UK. That's, yeah. that's what excites me about that. They're, all those weirdos, as you said, yes. the kind of yeah. the ones who are hiding behind bushes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bush people. I wonder um, where you'll end up. Do you know? Do you reckon you'll be a New Yorker forever? I mean... I, I mean, people lately, when I've been saying that I, I'm going to LA, they're like, oh, but you're like the ultimate New Yorker. And I'm always like, oh, God, that means I really have to leave. Um, it's It feels like, I mean, I'm like a townie, but in a big city, you know, like it is like I'm from here. I, I often have this feeling of like, I can like see myself from above, like walking the same streets and there's like this carnival music. And I'm like, oh my God, like you're trapped in this place. Um, it's hard to go somewhere else after being in New York because New York is so like high voltage and like every world is like big, like like the like writing world, art world, fashion world, food world, everything here is like huge. Whereas like in LA, like actually like the movie industry like is really the main thing. Yeah. I mean, there's other things of course, but like it does feel like the main thing. Um, so I don't know, I think, um, I would like to um, live in Portugal, and uh, my boyfriend is fine with that. Um, he's a European citizen. I have I have my um, Portuguese citizenship, um, so I think that uh, yeah, I think we'll retire in the next two years, <laughs> um, and uh, you know I'll live there, and and I'll just be like on a street corner, like eating sardines and drawing old ladies. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. So. Life plan done. <laughs> yeah. And writing a few children's books in the meantime. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, that's that's not, I don't actually want to be doing nothing, but I would like to be doing nothing and everything there eventually. Perfect. That's all my questions. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Ciao.